You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Welcome to Analog Jones in the Tempo Film. I'm Steve. And I'm Matt. And this is a VHS podcast that goes in the box art trailers and behind the scenes. And we are starting our franchise review of the Halloween month. Not the Halloween franchise. Every time I do this, I feel like I'm announcing the Halloween franchise. No. It's a franchise in October. Matt, what do we watch? It's not Halloween, but it's the howling. <laughs> so you, maybe you misheard us, but yeah, it's the howling. Um, we are going to talk about the first movie, Joe Dante's 1981, during the year of the werewolf, the howling. Matt, who is coming along with us to watch this franchise? The, at least the first one. We brought back the wonderful, the oh so fun to have on. Mr. Alex has joined us again. Oh, that's so kind. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I love the howling. So thank you. Thank you for having me. I I sort of invited you on this one, like in in terms of like, we kind of knew we were going to do this Death Wish one. And you you were really excited to do the Death Wish one. You kept asking, what are we going to do? And then when we figured it out, I was like, well, next on our list is the howling. And I'm like, I know that this motherfucker loves this movie. So and I'm sure he'd be down to talk about it. So I had to definitely like be like, hey, would you we sometimes we usually do two together. Would you be interested in the howling? And you were like, yep. <laughs> I get to watch the howling again. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. And let's listen to the trailer. All your nightmares are about to be transformed into one single inescapable Tonight, I'm going to show you something to make you believe. The Howling. Beyond anything human. Rated R. Now playing at a theater near you. Check newspapers. I guess that's more of a TV spot than a trailer. But anyway, this is a low-budget classic from Roger Corman and Joe Dante. So I'll start it off right away. I'll let the guests go first. When is the first time you viewed The Howling? The Howling? Uh, you know, it, it had been a while since I've seen it. Um, and I remember the first time I watched it, I actually, I, I, I didn't completely fall in love with it, to be honest. It was, I, I, like, I always kind of had it like firmly in the middle of my, of my Dante, of my Joe Dante rankings. Uh, but on this watch, something like kind of like clicked for me where I was like, oh, this is great. Like there's a there's a lot of really great stuff going on here. Uh, and I was kind of underrating it uh, all these years. And 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 now and now I'm a big fan. I just that that Joe Dante is just full of surprises. What a, what a treat. Yeah, he's he's just he really understands how to like kind of torture you and make you laugh at the same time. Yeah. Uh, Matt, when's the first time you saw this? Video store. This was a rental. Um, I, I was like kind of Alex too, where it wasn't one of my favorites ever though. Like it, it took sort of more watches to kind of really like, you know, sort of have it be part of than the 
regular kind of Halloween watchings. Uh, but yeah, the first time I rented it, I didn't fall in love with it. I, you know, I'm a big American Werewolf in London uh, person. And they, you know, having come out at the same year, even though they're the most different movies they could possibly be, they just happen to also be werewolf horror comedies. But like, other than that, they're pretty different movies. But you kind of have to compare them a little bit just because it was the year of the werewolf. I, you know, I think I just stood for that one for so long. And this one was always kind of secondary. But like over the years, I've really come to warm up to it as well. I, I love werewolf movies just in general. So I, I can never get enough of them. And, and when there's a good one like this one, you know, it grows on you. It sticks. Did you like American Werewolf in London so much because John Landis is a personal hero to you that you look up to and think he's a great guy? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Man, I I got to say I I think that the probably the worst thing that that could have happened to this movie was American Werewolf in London coming out at around the same time because then you're just weirdly comparing the two and it is a strange like American Werewolf is like the it's it's the flashier one it's the more prestige one it's got like the more recognizable cast it's got those like those insane werewolf effects and what's a bummer is that like there are some there's some great effects in this one too but they just get so overshadowed by i mean it's it's a pretty undeniable movie american werewolf in london but this one has a lot they're they're doing different things kind of like Matt said and 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 they're two very different movies and and I think with time and separation you just kind of get to appreciate both of them for for what they are. Yeah, I think they were both they're both Rick Baker led special effects. Now I think Rick Baker initially signed on to an American Werewolf in London, then they said, "Oh, we're not going to get it shot in time." So he went over to The Howling. And then John Landis called him. He's like, okay, well, American Werewolf in London is going to happen. So he was loyal to John Landis and decided to leave, even though he had already started all the special effects. And then it was taken over. So the original werewolf head was designed by Rick Baker. But I mean, and Botine took over, right? Rob Botine. Did Rob Botine take? That's what I thought. But oh, I wasn't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. There was some Stan Winston stuff, too, as well uh, for this one. Um, and I don't know if it was the trading back and forth with American Werewolf in London yeah. as well. Uh, but there is like some thread of Stan Winston. But yeah, in the end, who ended up doing it was Botine. He was 21 years old. Yeah. When he made that. I can't I can't fucking believe that. I'm sorry. But like like you just watch that like a, like you're watching that movie. And you're like a 21 year old made that. I can't believe it. And and like you were saying, like the uh, the unavoidable, undeniable comparisons to American Werewolf in London, Howling has an amazing transformation at the end of it mm -hmm. as well. Like it, 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 yeah, from this twenty-one-year-old brilliant kid. Um, but like, and then a year later, he made the thing. Like what exactly, like ex exactly. <laughs> well, like the great ones are just great because Stan Winston didn't even go into Hollywood to be a special effects. He wanted to be an actor. And then he was bad at acting. He's like, well, I guess I'll do these special effects. And then he becomes Stan Winston. It's just like the, these guys of the 70s and 80s, they just had it and they just got the opportunity and the rest is history. I mean, obviously, it's a lot of hard work, a lot of talent and all that. But I just like, yeah, he's 21. How the how the fuck? Yeah, it was incredible. Uh, and then and, and then the thing like almost killed him. 
Like, it literally almost killed him. Like, that's, like, the famous story that, like, John Carpenter, when the movie was done, he's like, I need to take you to the hospital. And he was, like, <laughs> and he was like diagnosed with, like, severe exhaustion because he was living on that set. Yeah, wasn't he working 18 to 20 hours a day? Seven days a week. Yeah. Like, it's... insane. Absolutely insane. Yeah. That dude, he he deserves to just put his feet up for the rest of his life with what he did just in these in those like few years and what is amazing i think rob botine and i think rick baker does too like they're both really good at the documentaries and like sharing all their opinions Mm -hmm. they're open books yeah and they're just they're like yeah we'll show you everything and how we did it it's kind of like an amazing athlete you can sit there and watch them and they make it look easy. But then when yeah. you try, you're like, this is incredibly hard. How do you make it look so easy? It's because they're great and they're hard yeah. workers. Mm-hmm. You combine those two and pff, movie history. <sighs> anyway, let's go into the quick facts of this. We already mentioned this was directed by Joe Dante based on the howling. I was just calling Joe Dante the king because <laughs> he's a him. king. <laughs> uh, and his Oscar winning small soldiers movie. It won the oh. Oscar in my mind. Yeah. Won like 10 of them. <laughs> Based on the Howling book by Gary uh, Brander. Brander. And uh, I, I today I text you guys, but the Howling book is dramatically different in this movie because the Howling book I read, it was a housewife that was raped, which led to a miscarriage, which led to her discovering werewolves. And I'm like, oof. Werewolves are dark enough. What the fuck? (laughs) Yeah. Thank God you guys changed that shit. Oof. Anyway, screenplay by John Sales and Terrence H. Wickless. Distributed by Embassy Films. Embassy Pictures, I'm sorry, which, you know, is a a Roger Corman distribution company, correct? Don't know. know. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure. Well, he has New World Pictures, but I think that was his production company. But I think his distribution company was Embassy. Was Embassy? Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. I mean, Roger Corman was definitely a part of this. He was on set. So. Yeah, yeah. He has a little cameo in the beginning. Yeah. Released on March 13th, 1981 at a budget of $1.5 million, And I just want to point this out. It was shot. Shot with two different people leading the special effects in 2018 days and that's including reshoots wow joe dante b-movie king and also also uh, may i may i point out the, the the other i think important name here is john sales he also came up in the in the corman world he wrote he wrote alligator too uh matt and i showed alligator once at a at, at fat cat in chicago toby who um, movie right no 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 it was a uh, who's that who's uh lewis teague lewis teague that's right and i think john sales also wrote did did john sales also write piranha i think he did i I believe so yeah and he of course has gone on to like you know get nominated for oscars and uh and and direct his own have his own like sort of prolific career as an as an independent director eight men out about matt's precious white socks lone star which is a which is just a stone cold masterpiece if you've never seen lone star i stand a king john sales he's he's kind of the man brother from another planet that was him too if you guys ever find a vhs of brother from another planet i will hop on that episode with you guys i love that movie so much he's a super smart clever writer uh he wrote i think the screenplay that then became et if i'm not mistaken 
he also he also did drafts on Jurassic Park. Like the dude, the you know, the dude worked, super talented writer. And he would like use these like big Hollywood paydays to just like go make his own like low budget movies with uh with one of my man crushes, uh David Strathairn. They 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 work together a lot too. Anyway, sorry, I did a weird John Sales detour. Uh he's No, playing, I was gonna and, I was uh, gonna ride your coattails on it and just say like I do think a lot of like the comedy and thing the, the towing the line between the horror and comedy does come from sales script yes it's super clever yeah and i and i think that is a, another thing that kind of differentiates it from like say the john landis escort comedy of london is you've kind of got this yeah very like writerly sort of you know like almost like a novelist do towing the line between uh horror and comedy here so it's a yeah. it is a totally different it's vibe, drier like Yes, it's like well, it's it's like a dry wit that like kind of like runs underneath the whole thing. Absolutely. And there's a good John Sales cameo too. He's the guy in the morgue. Never put it past Joe Dante to put a cameo in. <laughs> yeah, and he and and he's got some he he's got some zingers in that in that like like he he just kind of does like a little mini monologue about what it's like working at a morgue, and then he does that great thing at the end where he knocks on the he goes Eddie visitors right before he opens the. You know, right before he opens the thing and discovers that Eddie's body is gone. <laughs> he's like, he's good. He's a good actor, too. Yeah, natural. I love how I'm looking at all of his movies that he's written, directed and everything. And the one movie that I'm like, oh, I've seen that Men of War with Dolph Lundgren. I'm like, come on, Steve. This is where your brain's at. That's the <laughs> movie you've seen of his. I mean, I've seen Piranha and, you know, a few yeah. others, but I, I just think it's hilarious that, like, my, yeah. my fucking work. brain went to that one. Big, oh, oh, my God, I've seen that one. You know, he, he didn't discriminate. He, you know, he wrote scripts and he got paid for it. And he seemed to really like doing it. Those are some pretty good scripts everywhere. And I'm yeah. sure he's got a lot of uncredited uh, yes. writing that he's eventually will you know show in his memoirs which matt and i determined all these writers will finally tell us everything they worked on in their memoirs sure yeah when they don't need to have a paycheck anymore <laughs> some of them we just will never know <laughs> yeah if they die early that will suck but eventually we're gonna get them all uh anyway let's move on in this it is time for matt to guess the domestic box office hopefully he didn't go to wikipedia even though it's like super easy to see it so i know this is kind of hard but movies that came out the theater at the same time we have the final conflict back roads the fun house which i think is the chevy chase movie the total dickhead of hollywood i hope he i actually hope he goes into a death wish five acid bath all night long modern romance and eyes of a stranger so matt that's uh, not exactly a very good month. <laughs> Sounds like March of 81 was kind of shitty. <laughs> hey, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll stump for modern romance. Uh, that's a, you know, the Albert, Albert, Albert Brooks at his peak. It's a, it's a funny movie. Albert Brooks. Is he related to Mel Brooks? No, uh, no relation. Uh, no relation to James L. Brooks either, even though they work together a lot. I think, hmm. I think James L. Brooks pops up and might pop up in modern romance. It's a cool, it's, it's a, it's a cool movie if you ever get around to it. He's a, yeah, Albert Brooks. I don't know. You already gave me something else to watch in the last one, which I already wrote in my list and forgot the name of. But don't worry, I put Alex suggested this. So I've got it in my notes. <laughs> but anyway, we have delayed enough for Matt to think or look up on Google 
Yeah, I was stalling for you, Matt. Yeah, right. So you know, no, I didn't. I didn't see this one, so I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I didn't do any research for the howling because I'm pretty familiar with it. <laughs> Seen it about <laughs> four hundred times. So, um, but um, so my guess, I don't know, a million. Oh, the come on! Out. You can do better than that. I, I just I can't imagine this being a runaway hit. I, I that's why I think a million, maybe two In, million. All right. Well, it was seventeen point nine. Wow! Domestic. See that surprise. Well done. Because no, this, this was this was huge. Kind of this is this actually put Joe Dante on the like mega Hollywood map. I know there's a like seven more Howling movies after this, but like it still surprises me. I would have thought that this one was would be one that would have found its life on video. No, yeah. I mean Joe Dante was the director that Steven Spielberg at first thought was going to be the next Steven Spielberg. He earmarked him for Gremlins after this one, right? Yeah, he specifically picked him out because he loves the howling. Uh, I mean, this was younger Steven Spielberg. I don't know what he feels about it now, but I'm sure he still likes it. But the younger Steven Spielberg saw what Joe Dante did with absolutely no budget, reminded him of himself. And he's like, this is the guy. This is the guy for this twisted horror comedy because Spielberg didn't think many people could do Gremlins. And Joe Dante was a big deal to him. Uh, and I'm not saying that like Joe Dante went on to have a fantastic career. He just didn't have a Spielberg career. And the thing is, is like, you know, you look at it and I, I, I understand. He's too mischievous. Yeah, he's mischievous. And Joe Dante can only direct certain types of films uh, so far. Maybe he actually could be a, a guy who could do anything, but he he just didn't. Like, I think Burbs was supposed to be the one that he thought was going to really like propel him into a different direction where he could do anything. And then he kind of got, I love that movie, but he kind of got undercut. Yeah, no, that, that, that flopped. I'm pretty sure. Right. Oh yeah. The writer's strike and he just had, I mean, the budget cuts and then he was stuck on one set and maybe one day we'll review the burbs. We'll have Alex back because he loves Joe Dante. Right. So, yeah, man, bring me on, bring me on for matinee pod. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> matinee pod and gremlins 2 i'll go hog wild on the gremlins 2 pod <laughs> oh gremlins 2 i have that poster up in my hallway uh, that's the poster that i had for my son being born because he's the new generation that's an incredible i've, I've seen that poster it's it's great it's it's a great yeah. poster it's such a god i love that movie i have the nes game behind me i'm a massive gremlins 2 i, I mean i like gremlins yeah. 2 more than one i mean that's yes it's the so. it's the sequel that surpasses the original for sure yeah, people just didn't understand it because they're dumb. They, they came around eventually. Some people still aren't smart enough. Damn it. You're a little bit off. You're quite a bit off. That's fine. That's fine. I, I get where you were coming from. I just expect more from you, Matt. So uh, do 10 pushups and 25 jumping jacks. And then I need you to watch the Howling Five four times in a row. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're more likely to get me to do the jumping jacks and the push-ups than to get me to watch Howling 5 ever again in my lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe that was an excessive punishment. If you're running that series, you're going to have to watch 5, right? Yeah, we're not running the series. I've already run the series, and I am not doing that again. <laughs> <laughs> so this is one of the rare occasions where Matt pulled a mulligan. And he said, well, I don't even know what we call this. He, he just I'm he just flexed his muscles and said, we're doing the first three and that's it. 
I said like, no oh, more yeah. after three. <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay. That's probably that's probably wise. Which one is the one with the marsupials? That's three. That's three. Yeah, that's supposed to be a lot of fun. I haven't seen it, but yeah, I think the first three have like a vibe that it, that yeah. you know they they feel like sort of it's the trilogy and that's kind of it. But if you're looking to go beyond that, the only one worth watching is six, the freaks, because it's basically a werewolf remake of freaks. So it's pretty interesting. But uh, four, five, six, seven, eight. Don't even. God, I can't. Not even worth the time. (laughs) Which one is the uh, uh, Twilight remake? I mean, everyone calls it Uh, eight. Yeah. Okay. The most recent one. Yeah. They're just trying to capitalize on a. Right. absolutely it's like 2010 or 2009 so it's like right after yeah. the first movie came out and like yeah it's it's basically just twilight with werewolf and they just slapped a howling title on it because at this point in the series who cares <laughs> people called that so much online that i honestly thought the movie was called the howling twilight and i'm like wow they didn't get sued for that and then i found out i was like oh no 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 it's actually not called that <laughs> that's just what everyone says though but I will say that the, the Twilight uh, Howling is better than four, five, and seven, though by a long shot, because four, five, and seven are like bargain basement movies. <laughs> yeah, I wow. know number four. Weren't they trying to make like a remake of the first one, or kind of like a reboot? It is. It is. Yeah. Oh. Okay. If you're doing a reboot and you have no budget, and you don't have Joe Dante, and you don't have all these special effects gurus, yikes! Don't do it. <laughs> yeah what's the point that's how you get a 90 minute movie of people walking around and talking with five minutes of a shitty werewolf at the very end of the movie <laughs> that reminds me of prom night four when they have no business trying to make a remake or a retelling of the first one the first prom night's not good anyway side tangent not gonna get into that i don't like prom night one that much and i really don't like prom night four so I think Matt and I are on the same page with the howling, except the first howling is awesome. Well, yeah, but we're on the same page for the prom night as well. Yeah, I think the first movie sucks also. So <laughs> it's so boring. Anyway, yeah. we've you guessed it. So let's describe the front here. Now, again, back to back movies with Alex here where the VHS cover is just the theatrical poster. And this one's well, awesome. what a great poster. Yeah. Yeah, it appears a woman is turning into a werewolf and ripping through a paper bag. It's great. It's so evocative. And and I mean, I remember this this art like so vividly from walking through the video store for years and years. Like yeah, say I'm sort of obsessed with like all of the covers and posters that are like um, somebody tearing kind of through. Like mm-hmm. I love like the uh, Jason takes Manhattan, the I Heart New York one, where like he's cutting through sure. that poster, or like the It VHS of uh, where like Tim Curry is kind of pulling down the tape on the side. Like uh, I really it's a like, classic. I, yeah, I love those kind of posters and box arts. So like the Howling, I, I know why I rented this movie as a kid, like because I loved sort of like the idea that like the monster from the movie is like coming at you. Yeah. Yeah, I love these old 80s and sometimes 90s kinetic covers uh, that sadly got replaced with the floating heads. Yeah, it's like there's action there. there there's like something like happening there that that, that, that it, it, it really feels like you're in, you're in, in media res, like like some, something something bad's happening. Yeah, and I also love that even though it's kinetic, 
like there's a lot of action films that are very kinetic, a lot of movement, a lot of action, you know, on a still image. But this one re- has so much mystery mm-hmm. because it's just a woman screaming is like, is she turning into a monster? Is there a monster behind her ripping through it? You know, that mister. There's a lot of things that you can think about when you look at this as a kid. Now, sadly, I don't remember this cover as a child. I saw this movie. It was on a cable station and I saw Terry getting attacked by the wolf and it creeped me out so much as a kid that I refused to watch this until I was well into my teenage years. Hmm. But once I watched it, I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. I wish I wouldn't have been a little scaredy cat. It's a great cover. Everyone's going to look at this. Uh, The only difference is I believe the theatrical one flips it, you know, horizontal flip. So the claws are Mm. coming from right to left and the VHS is coming from left to right. I don't know why they did that. doesn't matter. Both of them are cool. But we have a couple quotes here on the cover. We've got absolutely unique scenes that win audience gasp deservedly from People Magazine. (laughs) One of the best werewolf movies ever made. The special effects are brilliant beyond all description. Los Angeles Magazine. They're not wrong. What I'm surprised isn't on here is I believe I can't remember which one, but one is Siskel and Ebert actually really liked this. I actually I looked up Roger Ebert's review of this movie. Oddly enough that you mentioned that a deranged review. Uh, He gave it two stars out of four. So he was mixed on it. But I I, I don't know if you could like I don't know if you have show notes or something where you could like link this or something that if you you find it on RogerEbert.com, if you look up his review of The Howling. He like framed it as like some really weird like dialogue between like two like like drive time morning radio show hosts, complete with like written in like sound effects of like wolf howls and like I don't know where he came up with this idea or why he was like this is this is the movie where I'm gonna whip this gimmicky review out. It was very very strange. I wonder if I saw a like a re re review from one of them. No, there's there's a chance that Siskel liked it, and because they because they were well into the show, I think at this point in the early eighties. So, so, oh, they were also on their high horse trying to destroy horror movies um, at this time, but it was mostly slashers. So here, let's play the clip. I went to see our next movie, The Howling, knowing it was a film about werewolves, and I suspected that it might be another one of those violent movies where only women get in the neck. Well, I was in for a pleasant surprise. I thoroughly enjoyed The Howling. I think it's one of the best horror films of the last couple of years. The special effects of people turning into werewolves are quite spectacular and quite gross, and I think they use them maybe once too often. But the best part of The Howling for me is the general level of tension that the film develops. I got scared. The movie drew me into its world of werewolves, and at the same time, I admired the filmmaking. This movie even made the shadows of werewolves on the wall come alive. It's aggressive, it's gross, it's entertaining. I enjoyed it a lot. Well, you know, I agree and I disagree. I agree that it's a superior <laughs> horror film, and I think that people who like horror films and like werewolves are likely to like this one more than I did. You know, we've talked on previous shows about things like eroticism, humor, and uh, fright. You can't fake them. Either you feel them when you're watching the movie or you don't. I have to admit, I was not scared by this film, and so for that reason, I don't recommend it. But didn't it. you enjoy the idea of being... Weren't, didn't you enjoy your time in the theater while you were watching I, it? I love the guys turning into werewolves, even though it went on and on a little bit too much. I enjoy that. I like some of the backstage humor involving the television newscast. It's a lot more witty than the average horror film. Oh, no, 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 no. They, uh, it, it, it was, it's his literal, like, it, it was his review that he wrote 
for oh. like for the Sun Times. Like he wrote it. You have to see why I'm confused because I don't know what reading is. <laughs> no, if you go on Roger Ebert, like like they, they have all of his archives, like some uh, Chicago Sun Times reviews, and it's just like his. He like he wrote it like a script. Oh, for two like 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 drive time radio show hosts. It's like, hey, you heard this crazy story about this lady that got that got bit by a werewolf. Let me tell you all about it. Oh, like it, there's just like weird like, and, and he like writes in like the sound effects of like wolf howlings and like dogs growling and scratching and like, and he like kind of goes through the major beats of the plot that way. And then like makes a couple of quips and then he's like two stars out of four. It was just so strange. Okay. But I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know what, what Siskel thought of it. And again, like Ebert didn't hate it. It was just a, a, a very odd, like, I don't know. I guess he was like a little bit, he, he, you know, he was, he was, he had a little bit of piss and vinegar, I guess at the time there, he was like, let me, I, I can pull this off. Let me just, let me do a weird gimmick review. When Ebert was going through his like, depression spikes or whatever he talked about like i don't know if you guys have ever read his memoirs Um, no i would really like to actually it's pretty interesting because he went through two bouts of severe depression and Mm -hmm. he said it leaked into his work and that's why he wanted to re re re-review movies and Hmm. yeah when he like so like there it's not like i don't think he was redoing it because like well, maybe some of it was redoing it because public sees it differently or whatever. But I just don't think like a, a critic with that ego. I just think Ebert really changed a lot in the mid 90s. And then he dramatically changed after his um, cancer. I think it was oh, after maybe. the cancer. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and after and after Gene died, I think. Yeah. It was, you know, it 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 gave him but kind in of in his uh, memoirs he mentions that gene was his best friend that he never yeah. appreciated yeah that he actually hated uh at one point yeah they were rivals it's it's actually he's got like four books so you'll have to i've only listened to the memoirs i want to read uh life itself um it's, it's, it, would, it would be a nice one i think life itself is his memoirs yeah that i'm thinking of yeah yeah i'd, I'd also i'd recommend um uh the, the the ringer did a really good podcast series this summer called gene and roger where um the journalist brian raftery like goes through he like rewatched like all of siskel or like a lot of like siskel and ebert and 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 interviewed like Chaz ebert and 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 gene's gene's wife and and gene's daughter and like a lot of these these people like their producers, like people who are really close to them. And they like talk about like the creation of the show and like who they were as individuals and how they like initially like butted heads and all of the, it's, it's a, it's a good listen. Uh, they're pretty well produced. There's like six of them and each of them's like a half hour long. It's a, it's a nice, nice little podcast. Those deep, those deep dive podcasts are amazing. Yeah. They're really, really well researched, really fun to listen to. And mm-hmm. Okay, this is the part of the show where we like to remind you to go out and rate and review us on iTunes. It is really important for our show to grow. Uh, If you enjoy us, take a few seconds, go to Apple iTunes, rate and review us, leave us a review. Uh, If you can't think of anything to say, say Matt Rules, Steve Drools. Ah, damn it, I fucked it up. (laughs) You can put that too. But really, you should say Steve Rules and Matt Drools. You know what? If you hate, iPhones, you hate Apple and everything like that. We have a YouTube channel. I put every podcast up. Subscribe. 
you know, you can get it every week. You can listen to it at work if you work at home, like a lot of us do right now. Boom, there you go. And if you have uh, YouTube TV, I believe you can listen to it on your app and you can even shut off your phone and it'll still play. Not shut off, but, you know, put it to sleep. Anyway, Matt, last time we checked in, you were really cracking the numbers to figure out the iTunes algorithm. Have you gotten any closer? Have you figured it all out? No, we're still crunching the numbers over here. This is going to be some time here. We pan the camera over and Matt is like racing to mice in like a box. We've got I've got my green visor hat on. I'm chopping a cigar and I'm slapping on an old timey calculator and it's making all the noise. And yeah. yeah. Uh, do you have the do you have the receipt like uh, where it's like printing off all the numbers that you smashed yes. down? Yes. Mm-hmm. So okay. we're going to we're going to be here a while doing this. So uh, check back in with me in 46 episodes and I'll let you know how we are. Well, considering <laughs> that technology is the late 80s, it's going to take you about 20 years to figure this out. OK, sounds good. Longevity for the podcast, though. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, feature presentation. We had no trailers. Let's get into this movie. And now our feature presentation. OK, Karen White. That's our main character. I don't know if you guys know that. Her name is Karen White. She's a TV news anchor, which uh, I, I've always been confused about this. Apparently, she's helping the police catch a serial killer named Eddie Quest. I know about Eddie. I understand that she's trying to catch him. But this movie just kind of seems like it just starts and she's like an undercover reporter. Uh, that's what I always took it as. And the police was covering her and then she got into a bad situation. Yeah, as I as I understand it, it's kind of both, basically. Like, like she, she is a famous reporter who this serial killer guy is like fixated on and they're using it as an opportunity to both a like work with the police to catch him and b like make a good, like salacious story for her news show. It's like kind of like a kill two birds with one stone scenario. That's how I understand it at least. Yeah. Cause back in, back in 1981, uh, you know, journalists didn't just copy and paste Buzzfeed articles. Uh, they used to actually investigate things. <laughs> they went out there to the porn shops and put themselves in danger, baby. <laughs> I mean, shit, they were really shooting at a porn shop here. I actually, I, I really like this, this intro. The, the thing that's struck me on this viewing is I really like the way that this movie begins and ends. And I like how it has like the bookmarks or, or the bookends rather of the news show and how this like whole like rigmarole kind of relates to media and our like hunger for salacious, you know, torrid things. It's it's there, but it doesn't like hit you too hard over the head. It, it's kind of got that slyness that like Matt and I were talking about before that, like that John Sayles quality. I like like small things like the smiley face mm-hmm. that they never actually comment on, but they consistently put in the film. I mean, I don't think they ever say anything about the smiley face, but I, I always I like it when films don't think that the audience is all a bunch of idiots. But yeah, we get it. He puts a smiley face. That's what Eddie does. I like how, too, we just like start off fast and furious. It kind of reminds me of like Dawn of the Dead at the time. And yeah, mm-hmm. like it, it is. It's doing the comment on media, but also just like it gets us right in there. And I think this is going to be I think this is its way not of necessarily like announcing it, but of the way it is separating itself from the book and that like like we are having a very kind of cinematic visual thing starting this movie off. Absolutely. How D. Wallace was very uncomfortable at the porn shop. 
they were really shooting at a porn shop. I'm assuming Dee Wallace is a, a nun in a past lifetime because she seems like she's very uncomfortable anywhere outside of her zone. Yet she's an actor. And an actor in horror movies. Yeah. A lot of horror movies. It's odd because I don't know if you guys ever heard about her uh, contract on this, which shocks me that Roger Corman would sign this. But she had a contract where obviously she would never be nude. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of actor and actresses, lead ones especially, sign this. But she also had a clause in her contract that any there was no nudity to be around her on set, uh, which they got away with that by shooting a fake porn in this porn shop, which I find hilarious. But another mm-hmm. clause in her contract is no one had to be nude on set if they didn't want to be. That is the part of the contract where I'm like, like, like it was like a really? writer for the whole for the whole cast. Whatever scene she was in, if anyone told her she they were uncomfortable being nude. They didn't have to do it according to her contract. Good. <laughs> Good for her. <laughs> like, what What a gangster. Like, that's awesome. To do that in 81. Yeah. Like, like, like I feel like the rest of the industry has just caught up with Dee Wallace. <laughs> yeah, I don't think she's like a nun. I think she's like fucking practical. <laughs> she's well, real about it. The, the nun thing comes to... There, like, I agree with a lot of what D. Wallace did on this, and then I don't agree with some other things. And we'll get into that later on. The nun thing was more just like a, you know, a crack that because she seems very uncomfortable in a porn shop. Sure. Like, I'm like, eh, really? It's just, yeah, whatever. You're an actress or an actor, a professional actor or actress. I, I just, you know, it's a porn shop. You're just playing a character. It's not really you. You're safe. That's why well, I her was character. Was her character is uncomfortable in the porn. Yeah, shop, you don't so. know that she is. Now, in the uh, special edition that I have on MGM that they did in the early 2000s, uh, she said she's incredibly uncomfortable. She's she's very conservative. That's what I'm going to say. I'm, I'm not saying mm. politically conservative. I'm saying personally conservative. If you understand what I mean, like yeah, yeah. But I guess she can like use that in that scene though, like that, like that she works. Did. We feel we feel her discomfort. It's a uh, it's 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 palpable. Yeah, I I don't want to set up that I don't like D. Lawless's decisions or contract in anything. In this film, there's only one part that I really disagree with her because I don't think anyone should do that. But on this, I'm like, yeah, right on. You get what you get. You got something in the contract. You write it out, and she, you know what? She pulled weight later on, and she won. So we'll get into that. Yeah. Did you guys know she was married to Christopher Stone, who played Bill in this movie? No, no, I did not. Yeah, she's she was D. Wallace Stone for a while um, before she went back to D. Wallace. Yeah, she. I I think I want to say like maybe like the Frighteners or one of those that she is credited as D. Wallace Stone. Oh. Yeah. Apparently, on all the movies that were re-released, I don't know if she got this, but she asked for the. Actors Guild to change her name back to every movie that was re-released as D. Wallace. I would have changed that. Sure. I don't know if that is happened. I don't know how the I don't know how the you know Actors Guild works. The the union's kind of weird to me in some things. But on IMDb, she is D. Wallace, so maybe she got her. Mm-hmm. Maybe she got it. Whatever she wants, she seems to get. Because if you get Roger Corman to sign that kind of contract, a guy who is polite as hell but puts boobies in everything. That's powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Think about that. Roger Corman gets boobies in everything. This was uh this is before ET too. This must this must have been a big moment for for D Wallace. 
It's got to be. Yeah, I mean, right. she's got back-to-back-to-back to back to back hits at this point. You know, the E.T. and then... And then Cujo. Cujo, yep. Uh, so, like, yeah, she's... She was killing it right right here. Yeah, this was kind of her. This was the beginning of a hot streak for her. So get that paper. I mean, I mean, obviously she did one of the most overrated movies in E.T. Boo. Let's hear the boos. Boo. I'm not an E.T. fan. I like E.T. I'm just not a big fan. Oh, well. uh, Matt, I believe you coined me a monster. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yo, but D. Wallace is very good in this movie. Watching that like initial attack, one of the things that struck me that I think was such a good choice, both on her part and, or Joe Dante's or whoever came up with this, them together, that she is like, even like when the police are in the shop looking for her and she's being attacked, she's doing that thing where she's like gasping for air. She can't even scream because she's so shocked. And I feel like that's like such a good choice. And it makes so much sense because that's what happens when you're in that state of fear you can't make a sound for a little bit, you know? I remember being very struck by that watching this uh, on this rewatch. The entire scene at the beginning where the rookie cop just goes right in and shoots, mm-hmm. has no idea what's happening behind, and then she's gasping for air because she's in shock, and then she has post-traumatic stress syndrome, and maybe the amnesia is a little much, but I get it. It's part of the script to get her to the colony. There was a lot of realistic believability, I guess you could say, at the beginning of this. And it really kind of sends you in this story. She grounds it. Yeah, she does. She grounds a story about supernatural werewolves. Yeah. And she does it well. Really well. So maybe there is a reason she got away with that. No one's, you know, no one has to be nude around me in a Roger Corman film if they don't want to be clause in her contract. I guess she earned it with how good she is as an actress. There's a lot of class and a lot of intelligence in this movie, even though it is like very much unapologetically a B movie, which I think is really cool that like that, that those things could like coexist. You know, I always wonder if Matt Stone and Trey Parker were like influenced by Joe Dante because they have an ability to be very serious and grounded while being completely stupid and slapsticky at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I, I know they've gone on completely different uh career projection you know but both both uh all three of them have directed films and stuff like that but there's something there like he mm-hmm. does in a certain parts of this film like especially at the end where they cut to a commercial oh and, yeah and like oh that ending yeah yeah and we'll, we'll talk about that later on and even play yeah. a clip from that one but there, there's something where i feel a lot of people were influenced that started directing films in the late 90s and 2000s by joe dante and his i don't even know if he has a general audience sense of humor but he has done really big general audience films i, I don't know he, he's just very unique with his sense of humor he's a, he's a b-movie freak like that's his that's his thing he's just incredibly he's incredibly movie literate i think there is a kind of like a subversive sense of humor that comes with that because he is obviously so passionate about subversive art mm-hmm. and in sort of refashioning it for for his means what 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 a dude he's also very loyal he works with a lot of people over and over behind the camera and in front of the camera. So I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Even though him and James Cameron have nowhere near the same sense of humor, they both have the same loyalty to the people behind and in front of the camera that I appreciate. Mm-hmm. 
obviously James Cameron, Joe Dante, completely different personalities, but I love it when you see those type of directors and even John Carpenter. There's certain type of directors that just like have a, a loyalty to the people that they can trust and they appreciate. It always makes them feel like a family more than just like you're going to a job to get a paycheck. Yeah. And like Joe Dante kind of also surrounded himself with the people that he grew up admiring people like Dick Miller and Kevin McCarthy, uh, who both make appearances in this movie. Kevin McCarthy also really great as the as the news producer. Just like, again, just that that performance just like toes such a great line between like, like, like he's like he's smarmy and like and kind of despicable, but like kind of funny the way that he'll just like kind of throw these lines out. Just these really tossed off, like bringing that uh, bringing that Chinese girl like she's she's, you know, like while 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 D Wallace's character is like freezing up on, you know, he's just like ready to replace her in a heartbeat. I don't know. He, he's like the personification of that, like the, the those those great media gags and that kind of like smirking, subversive sense of humor that very characteristic of Dante's work. I think Joe Dante, like a few other directors that Matt and I have reviewed over time, is they appreciate the character actors because they came from low budget. So you get yes. someone like Kevin McCarthy and Robert Picardo, which every time you put them on film, they're just going all out out there's a lot of these actors that i robert picardo is amazing in inner space and gremlins 2 mostly inner space like i love him in gremlins 2 but inner space he's playing several different people playing other characters and if you haven't watched inner space in a long time watch it for robert picardo because he's amazing he's astonishing how good he can replicate other people's movements and mannerisms He's so freaking good and he's so underappreciated. Now, Kevin McCarthy is is a very bombastic character actor, which I appreciate. He's also great in Space, but Robert Picardo just blows it out of the water. Go back, watch Space, also directed by Joe Dante. Mwah! French kiss or the, <laughs> the chef kiss. Mwah! And uh, hush over the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, let's go on further into this story. So she has amnesia. The Dr. Wagner says that she should go to the colony to relax. He doesn't suggest this to anyone. He only suggests to the people he thinks really need it. Mm -hmm. Basically, people he wants to make a werewolf. In my opinion, she was, you know, more intellectual. And I bet the doctor wanted her to be a werewolf. He needed somebody on his side, right? Yeah. He needed like that because there's kind of like like factions within the colony. Maybe he thought there would be some, you know, someone to kind of follow his philosophy of the werewolf life. Now, Matt, when they get to the colony and we find out, eh, we, you know, most of us have seen this movie. They're all werewolves. Who's your favorite werewolf out of the colony? I don't know. I don't I don't know. Do you have one? Do you have one that like stood out for you? I would say I like the doctor the most because he's the one who's like playing both sides. He's trying to be a human while he's also a werewolf. And then when he's amongst the werewolves, he's trying to act, you know, like intellectual and human and not let his emotions and instincts take over. But also part of me wants the lady who just wants to bone Bill. I just find her <laughs> funny because <laughs> she's the leader. And she's just like, I'm a nymphomaniac. And like, they really they just like kind of announce it. Yeah. They're like, she wants to bang everyone. That's my thing. Yeah, I think I, I think I take her. 
I mean, like if we had to take somebody for that for that very reason. Marsha, I think is the name, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Whoever. I, I liked her. I liked her brother with the with the fur vest, where he just kind of like walked around on all fours almost. Yeah, he was the like weirdo in the colony where you'd be like, oh, him, him and John Carradine, where you're looking like, I don't want to be in this fucking colony. These guys are weird as shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. John, is, was John Carradine the one that like tries to kill himself at the beginning? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like, I want to throw myself in the fire. Oh, he's had too much to drink. You should go home, Earl. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I kind of dig that guy. He's got he's got a good vibe. What I appreciate about Marsha is Bill immediately rejects her. So she becomes a werewolf, scratches him, turns him into werewolf so she can bang him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she's going to get what she wants, damn it. She's like, I got a way to make this happen. But uh, the actress, on the other hand, did not get what she wants. And this is a very important lesson for any actor or actress out there. If you don't want to be nude in a film, uh, make sure you get it in writing. Because Elizabeth Brooks, they told her that she would not be nude on film. It would Both of them would be covered in smoke. Mm, no. You saw her boobies and bush and everything. Dicey. Which, uh, fantastic body, so at least when you're on film, you know, you looked good, but that pissed her off. Rightfully so. I don't want to say she was a Bible pusher, but she was very religious, so that pissed her off. Fuck you to the people who did that. That's fucked up, but uh, didn't have it in writing. That sucks. I hate when someone takes advantage of, like, that That fucking sucks. Yeah, uh, but whenever we get to like that uh, sex scene or whatever, we do get uh, get some. Is this where we first see our stop motion werewolves? Is it? Yeah, because like they couldn't do oh. a werewolf humping another werewolf, so they just did a stop motion uh, animation. Yeah, yeah, werewolf sex, man. Uh, that's my that's my boy David Allen doing those. The puppet master himself. Did the, all the uh, stop motion stuff in here. So I, I think that stuff's pretty dope. Uh, it's much better than the animated one that they use later on where the two wolves. Uh, that's the one where Joe Dante was the most upset about because the producers wouldn't pay more money to do stop motion. Hmm. So they paid someone to do a small two, you know, like four second cartoon and he hated it. And it just it, it does. It looks it's. If you pay attention to it and rewatch it, it's pretty jarring. Like, what? The stop motion works well, but it's weird. It was a weird moment. So skipping ahead in this. Uh, so we got two characters that are kind of like outside of the colony looking to help uh, Karen White. Well, I guess Bill is not looking for the help. But anyway, uh, one of my uh, little crushes that I had as a kid uh, is Terry. I don't know why. Uh, when I watched this as a little kid, Terry was a crush to me. And it also crushed me that Terry died. <laughs> She's pretty. She's cute. And Chris, played by uh, famed Adam Sandler associate Dennis Dugan. Yeah. Oh, In, the dir- director of Wedding Crashers. And gro- Grown Ups, didn't he? Yeah, yeah he did so. Grown Ups 1 and 2 and Big Daddy. Yeah. And I think he did Billy Madison and I think he did Happy Gilmore. Yeah. That's that's like his his career was like making Adam Sandler movies and Wedding Crashers. You said, Matt, I think so. 
my god a bunch of movies that i don't like <laughs> <laughs> oh man you don't like wedding crashers no i think it's kind of boring and mean-spirited hey alex would you like to be the new co-star of the analog joke <laughs> i i haven't you. seen i haven't seen wedding crashers since it came out in the theaters and i am deathly afraid of how poorly that movie is probably aged oh, i mean i never i was badly i i have never i mean I, I i was never big on it to begin with but but i'm i'm sure that 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 movie is aged like milk but you know what you know what though dennis dugan pretty good here good in the movie i mean he's not a leading man but he's he's a really good like uh he's a good sidekick he does his job he holds his own Oh, you were I think you're about to get to my one of my favorite scenes in the movie, which is when they go to the occult bookstore that uh, that Dick Miller runs. You're damn right. Terry and Chris walk into Dick Miller's shop and here's the clip. Oh, yes. I said, you name it. I got the book. A number of young women were killed in the next month. Their bodies exhibiting signs of animal attack. What's that? Warlocks, werewolves and demons. We'll find out if any of Eddie's killings were on a full moon. Hey, that's a lot of Hollywood baloney. Your classic werewolf could change shape any time it wants, day or night, whenever it takes a notion to. That's why I call them shapeshifters. I got a dozen books on it. What about killing it with silver bullets? Oh, sure. Silver bullets are fire. It's the only way to get rid of the damn things. They're worse than cockroaches. They come back from the dead if you don't kill them right. Plus, they regenerate. You know what that is? Cut off an arm, cut off a leg, stick a knife in a heart, nothing. They may look dead, but bam, three days later, they're as good as new. You believe in this? What am I, an idiot? I'm making a buck here. You want books? I got books. I got chicken blood. I got dog embryos. I got black candles. I got wolf paint. Look at this. Silver bullets. Some joker ordered them. 3006. Never picked them up. I take Bank America, American Express, Visa. You gonna buy that or what? Uh, yeah, these two. <laughs> I love how he says cockroaches. And then I love how he's like, just straight worse than cockroaches. <laughs> and he's like, you gonna buy those? <laughs> What do you uh, think? I'm best. some kind of idiot. I'm making a buck here. You want books? I got books. <laughs> God, give that man an Oscar. That like, my God. I honestly don't know if I like him in this or more or as the gun salesman in Terminator. He's just what a treasure. He is. He's perfect. Actually, he's he's awesome in Gremlins too. Too awesome. Yeah, I can't. Dick Miller's awesome got too many good, too many good scenes, yeah. too many good roles. Uh, so traveling on farther into this movie, uh, eventually, you know, Karen is, uh, she runs into, well, there's two, or I guess three werewolves attacks one right after another, after another. So Terry discovers all the evidence that Eddie is the serial killer. Uh, she sees a smiley face. She's taking photos and, but she's attacked by a werewolf, not. Eddie the werewolf, another werewolf, the deranged brother. She cut out, cuts off the arm, and then they show the really cool transformation from the werewolf arm to the human arm, and I have no idea how they did that. One of my favorite effects shots in the movie. I'm stunned every time I watch it. It's incredible. Yeah, do they do like a time lapse from... I can't figure out how they do that. I, I'd love to actually pick I'm, the special effects person brain did they do a time lapse from yeah i'm sure uh, i'm sure rob botin has talked about it somewhere <laughs> I, um, I wonder if they did a time lapse from a normal hand to a werewolf hand and then reverse the film that could that could have been it 
yeah, I don't know, but it was really cool. Um, so, you know, really appreciate that. And then, uh, so then Terry dies as she's calling Chris from the werewolf. And I was always confused because in Wikipedia, it says that Eddie kills Terry. But then yeah. the Eddie werewolf looks a little bit. Now, this could be because of different people doing special effects. But the that werewolf looks a little bit different from the transformation werewolf of Eddie. So because it looked a little bit grayer and a little bit older. And I was wondering if it was supposed to be the doctor. No, I think it was Eddie because I think he mentions in the scene when 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 he runs into D. Wallace, the, the piece of my mind scene i think he mentions having killed her friend i think he like said i i feel like there might be dialogue where he says that i love that moment where where terry is going through the 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 files and the werewolf hand just comes up and just snatches it oh no it creeped me out as a kid i wouldn't (laughs) watch this film for the longest time because that film scared me so much or that but like but watching watching it today, it's such a great combination of it's a great like jump scare, but it's also when you think about it, it's like got it's it's such like a wonderfully absurd little moment where the werewolf is like, oh no, you don't. Well, and it's also a jump scare that doesn't have the jump scare music that goes, yeah, ah! yeah. No, it's they just, just there. It's like, oh jump. no, <laughs> yeah, it's great. Actually, it's not a jump scare because it's a real scare. There's actually a werewolf there. It's not like a stupid cat. Yeah, it's a great it's a great gag. Uh, awesome, awesome gag. Loved it. Oh, because even though I know it's coming, it still gets me knowing mm-hmm. that the werewolf hands about to land on there. And I wonder if it's because it doesn't have the cue of the music. I don't know. What do you think, Matt? Am I wrong? Am I crazy? <laughs> no, anytime you have something like that without any music, like it's uh, it feels makes it feel more natural, makes it feel more real. So of course, it's scary. And of course, it's scary for like a little kid. Of course, it like ruined you and you saw it because it's so matter of fact. When shit's matter of fact like that, and they don't have sort of the music cues to tell you how to feel, then, it, you know, you, you start thinking it's really happening. Yeah, and then we get the next, uh, you know, at the third of the back-to-back-to-back werewolf kills, it, well, werewolf attacks, is Eddie comes in and shows everyone the first or second best, depending who you talk to, werewolf transformation scenes, which took, let's see, I heard that he was in makeup for five hours, and then I heard the scene took nine hours to shoot. I believe it. That's actually, I, I thought it was going to take more um, Can you imagine being in 13 hours? Just Actually, absolutely incredible. It took three days to shoot. So I don't. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how that maybe they set everything up in one day, had him on set from like 5 a.m. to, you know, the whatever 13 hours is in the day. And then the next day. I don't know, maybe a split. I don't know how that works, because I've read that it took three days to shoot, but it was a total of. Robert Patrick and someone else like 13 hours. You know how it is. Someone notes are different than the other. Who knows what I'm yeah. But either way, it took a long time and it's very well done. It's 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 amazing. Um, and it's always it's always just so great to, to watch again and like truly like 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 grotesque, but like just fascinating. You, like, you like you can't take your eyes off of it. It's uh 
and it's and it's so I don't know it's so like s- slimy it like I don't I, I I don't know it's like it it's it, it's got a different quality from the American Werewolf one that I think that's how that's how people can really like have those debates they're like they're giving you different things mm-hmm. they're, they're now you know they're I don't think you could have transformations this long like you did in American Werewolf in London and you did in this. I don't know how long American Werewolf in London's transformation is, but this one is like 114 seconds, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, close to two minutes. I don't think in a modern movie you would have a transformation this long. Um uh, the what's cool about this is maybe it's a little bit long, you know, some people say, but it's kind of cool just to look at like each layer of the special effects happening right in front of your face. Yeah, it feels it, it feels so thought out in the whole process of like, oh, this is how it would look like when, you know, if your skin or bones would like crack or stretch and. Like it's not something that you're you're right in a modern movie they do that and I feel like they did that in like the 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 Wolfman movie with Benicio del Toro where it's like the transformations are a lot more like they're quicker but they're like 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 they have that like I don't know that like action movie energy to them where they where everything just like bulges out really fast you know like whereas this one like feels like a like a like a slow agonizing creep you know as as opposed to like the pop like everything just kind of bursts outward kind of feel that that i feel like most audiences might like kind of demand in a modern telling of that kind of thing yeah i always remind you like a lot of these like in later films like when someone transforms it's really fast like it's a fast cut like you're like mm-hmm. you're cutting some fruit and you cut yourself and you're like, ow, it hurts, but it's not that bad. You put a bandage on or you wrap it, whatever. This one feels like someone's paper cutting you very slowly. Like you feel yeah. the transformation pain. It's so funny because like and it's, you know, going back to like how you have to compare them, but they're so different. Like the American Werewolf in London transformation is also like sort of highlighting the pain of the transformation but again Mm -hmm. could not be more different though it's like yes it's longer it's doing like the uh extreme pain and you're really seeing all the facets of the transformation happening but like still for whatever reason it's like completely different and this one feels like like I I would I guess compare it to maybe like a universal monster almost transformation, yeah. but yes, uh, you know in the eighties with Robotine's effects, like whereas like the other one he's changing more into like a a big animatronic monster, like this one they just uh, they they have such similarities, but they feel so different. Well, and the American Werewolf one is like it, it's a it's a private moment. Like he's by himself. Yes, if I remember. Yes, correctly. this one is like, like a like, show-offy moment. Where, in yeah, this movie. where the tone of this one is like, let me show you. Want to see something fucked up? Like <laughs> yeah. it's like kind of like the, it, like like there's a there's a sadism to it a little bit more. Where he's like, I'm doing this to freak you out and to like chill you to your core because the you know. Like there, there's a different like purpose to it. the The transformation is a, is a show for somebody else. 
And that happens again at the very end. Like that's literally what Dee Wallace does at the end. She goes yeah. in front of the camera and does the transformation as a show to, to communicate something to people, which I think is very that like that's a little that's a little different from what American Werewolf in London is, where it's more like, you know, I want to keep this in. I, I want to control this, you know, well, whereas yeah. whereas here the transformations are like pushing outward as a ways to almost communicate with people in a yeah, fucked I, up I, way. I like I like that take on it, and I think that's like I think that's a hundred percent. Like that's a hundred percent what I got out of it too. Yeah. Uh, another look at it that I see that like Joe Dante has like a through line in this is when gremlins when they're they get wet and they pop the gremlins out, like the pain that that they have to create like the pain that it takes to become a werewolf to get like the the ecstasy of killing or or sleeping with someone you know whatever it is the you know, kind of like animalistic instinct. Uh, I, I see reflected in Gremlins where he's not afraid to show mm-hmm. the pain of like when Spike jumps into the water or when any Gremlin gets wet. Like they it's know sad. all that pain. Yeah, it is sad, but all that pain is going to come to something that they need and they're willing to sacrifice it. And I think it's always interesting because Joe Dante never scares away from that, even though he has quote unquote family films under his belt. He has done that his entire career where he's really, I think he's one of the perfect like storytellers to children where he Mm -hmm. doesn't sugarcoat things. Like sometimes you got to sacrifice something that you want. You know, you got to sacrifice to get something that you want. And I always see that in his films. And now obviously this is for adults and you know, the horror genre and everything like that. But I see that throughout his, his timeline. Like he just is not afraid. Well, because he can communicate those things without, with or without like gore or adult themes or whatever, he can still communicate those things. Like he he has the tools to do that because he's a good storyteller. Yeah, and he does. That's why it, that's why he works for all ages. And he does it with people who are in makeup, or he does it with puppets, or he does mm-hmm. it with actors and actresses. It doesn't matter. He has the ability to tell that story through anything, and I is like that's. Any medium, he's going to tell the story. And I just find that fascinating about him. That like He's such a chameleon director. Mm-hmm. He changes to each situation, but he always gets the great feeling out of every situation. And I, I, I just, I mean, I know you said you like were a massive fan of him, and I'm a massive fan, and I know Matt is, unless Matt's going to throw us a curveball. Um, no, Matt you never know Joe. what I'm gonna do next. Uh, no, Matt, <laughs> wild card. <laughs> Joe, uh, Matt's but a I Joe love Dante Dante. guy through and through. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A small soldiers changed my life when I was seven. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he does the same thing with those, with those, with those toy puppets. He makes them characters. It gives them emotion. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then going on and, later in this, Chris uh, comes up in his Mazda, <laughs> which they uh, Joe Dante puts a scene in there. Oh, the guy with the Mazda is like, some of us work for a living. Specifically put in there by Joe Dante, by the way. Uh, he, he's oh, very proud amazing. of that scene. <laughs> Even though I don't think in a modern film you could get away with that. They would just be like, oh, no, we got to keep the, the story going. He's like, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm putting this scene in. <laughs> yeah. And great. uh Chris shows up, he grabs the silver bullets from Dick Miller's shop, uh, bookshop, and then he comes in 
And I love how Eddie and a lot of these werewolves are all like, go ahead, shoot me. You can't kill yeah. me. I'm invincible. And he just mows down werewolf after werewolf. He hits Eddie. He hits the crazy brother. He hits the doctor, which is very happy that he killed him. Uh, and then that was an interesting. That was a cool moment where he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah do it, man. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, thank God. <laughs> thank God. Yeah. Uh, and then we get to one of my favorite scenes in this where you get t- like to the final battle and, you know, he's driving his Mazda and then you actually get to see D Wallace's character carrying it like, no, 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 stop. That's uh, I forget the character's name, but no, 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 stop. That's whomever the sheriff that she trusted. And it turns out he's a werewolf and then Chris kills yeah. him and then they jump into the cop car and then they go wild with all these werewolf puppets crawling all over and d wallace then just goes you know what fuck it she grabs a gun she shoots one of the werewolves and then she shoots another werewolf which ends up being bill her werewolf husband Mm -hmm. and i like the turn this is d wallace's character's turn and this is something that D. Wallace does good. She goes from a very helpless character that is like seeking strength to immediately taking strength. And I think, you know, a lot of these 80s actresses that are really good at it, like. Um, uh, Jesus. Oh, my God. I just forgot her name from Halloween. What is Jamie Lee Curtis? Yeah. She reminds me of Jamie Lee Curtis and a couple other, you know, actresses where they have an amazing ability to act helpless. And then when the character's ready to turn, they're ready to kick some ass. And I don't know if there wasn't enough stories like this to get these actresses to have this turn, or if these actresses were just special and took advantage of the situation of the turn. But either way, there's a couple of them that stick out. And D Wallace is one of them. And she does a great job here. Yeah. Terrific stuff. And and then and then like the 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 denouement of the the going back to the TV studio to sort of tell everybody what she said and, and show everybody who like she really is. Uh it's I that that ending gets better and better every time I watch it. Every every beat of it. Agreed. Where like where and 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 it kind of I don't know, it kind of goes back to us just being like you know being incredibly impressed with joe dante can do what the the way each beat communicates a different emotion and and that they're all and that they all kind of exist in the same place and that's like the note that the movie ends on where there's the kind of tragic note of her turning into the werewolf in front of the cameras and and you see, I'll just that shot of like when when she's the where when she's in the wolf makeup and just the tear rolls down her eye, like right before Dennis Dugan like like puts her down, and then and then like Kevin McCarthy going cut to commercial, and then boom to the dog food commercial. And then everybody like arguing like, ah, oh, that wasn't real. That wasn't real. Just sort of like undermining the whole thing. And then 
And then, of course, that final shot of the hamburger hitting the uh, the grill as the credits start to roll over it. And, and we just watch that hamburger cook the whole time. Like, like the tragedy, the drama, the comedy, the satire, it all just like lives together in like that last like 60 seconds. And you just get walloped with it one after the other. And it's just brilliant. Like what a great ending. It's more modern too than like some of the other stuff you would see in 1981. It feels more, it will at that time would be ahead of its time, but it feels more current now. Like that's more kind Mm -hmm. of stinger you'd pop on a movie you know, post like 88 or something like that, you know, yeah. so out of its time to kind of have well, an ending with that kind of a button. That's like, it's like the, they live ending. I think of, it, yes, I think of they're very similar the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, and you've got that note. It's just like that mordant humor with like the tragedy of like, yeah, this is how it is. Yep. And in case, Hey no baby, one what's wrong? It, in case no one has heard it, here's the clip. I cut it down a little bit, so it's not as long. They're neither people nor animals, but something in between. Monstrous mutations whose violent natures must be satisfied. I know what you're thinking because I've been where you are. That's enough. And it's possible to imagine. Leave it, cut. Leave it! But I have proof, and tonight I'm going to show you something. Make you believe. Holy shit! What is this? Wow! What are you kids watching? The newsletter's turned into a werewolf! Oh boy. La mujer se cambió en un lobo. Hijo. Switch, switch, damn it, switch. Mm-mm. Doesn't that look good? Uh, there's a lot in that you guys already discussed. Uh, and, and here's my only thing I, I, I don't like that D. Wallace did in this film. Uh, everything else I've agreed with so far. I didn't like how she controlled the makeup where she decided, I don't want to be a scary werewolf. Uh, I want to be a soft, cuddly werewolf in a way. She said a soft werewolf, uh, something that children could see. Um, I agree with everything in her contract. I really don't agree with that. You're making a horror movie. I don't think you should dictate the special effects. Now, if she said, I don't want to be in makeup all day, I understand that. But, you know, you got to sacrifice a little bit for your craft. I don't like the final werewolf. I love the tear. I love that they had the courage to kill her. I love all that. I don't like the design of the werewolf. And it's not their design. That's why. It looks like, I don't know. I don't even know what type of dog it looks like. It just looks like a a wolf that they wanted nothing to do with because it wasn't. And that's my only disagreement with her in this film. I don't like that she dictated that. I'm going to hard disagree. I like All that. Right. I like that werewolf. Yeah. I, I'm team Alex. I, 
that werewolf that, is awesome. That tier, that tier moment. You think that werewolf is awesome for the story? It's not movies telling. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. That yeah. tier, that tier moment doesn't work as well without that wolf looking. I mean, like that wolf looks sad. No, like, I think exactly. that wolf looks like crap. Ugh. You, you, well, hard disagree, and I like the difference in opinion. <laughs> I don't know that that it, it amplified the tragedy for me in that moment. Same, like I, for the story, yeah, it, yeah. I think it, it yeah. works. It was look, definitely look. a point of contention uh, with the filmmakers and her, and that's fine. There's a lot of good films that had points of contention. Um, so, and there's a lot of uh, good films that have a lot of critics that uh, disagree. So I love it, um, but. Overall, this movie's still getting an A for me. Yeah, it's a really good movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no arguments here. It's uh it's perfect. <laughs> and 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 it seems to only for me it it's it's only getting better every time I watch it. Uh there I, I just keep finding more wrinkles and more little things that 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 impress me with it. Just what what these guys could do with like a few bucks and some ideas and knowing exactly. where the money is supposed to go. Um, it's like, I don't know. You That's, that's, that's gotta be them coming up through the Roger Corman school. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Cause I mean, there's no way this movie should look this good with $1.5 million, 28 days. It's actually less. I don't know how long reshoots were, but I'm assuming it was 21 day shoot. And then someone convinced someone else, hey, if we put a little bit more money in this, it could look a little bit better. They probably get an extra week. Uh, mm-hmm. Just, I'm just guessing on all this. I don't know. Uh, there's so much special features out there that I'm sure you can get a very detailed timeline. I'm not going through all that because it's nuts how much people love this film, uh, the passion behind it, and I'm sure how much behind the features there are. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I imagine some super fan has probably made an entire detailed map of the like shooting schedule. <laughs> uh, On day four is actually when Rob Bottin considered coming onto the film because he heard Rick Baker was leaving. and Rick Baker called Rob Bottin on day five, you know, shit like that. I'm like, oh, my God, come <laughs> on. Uh, the Internet nerds, we, we, we bow to you. And also, I'm scared of you at the same time. So. Uh, let's go on to the museum. This is the second time I've had to reclaim my property from you. That belongs in a museum. So do you. This is the part of the show where we go in the film jungle like Indy and bring something back, good or bad. Again, we are going to let Alex go first so we do not steal his section. (laughs) Of the howling number one, he gets an entire wall to himself. What do you got, Alex? Wow. Um, I'm afraid I'm going to steal this from somebody, but I I wanted to take the severed werewolf hand. Uh, the the but like I wanted to like change back and forth, like so I could just keep watching that effect over and over again. Could you imagine if you had that like Halloween effect on your porch yeah. as kids came so- up for candy? Woo! Just like the hand, like flexing and like turning, getting furry, <laughs> and then getting yeah, that's it's it's pretty remarkable. 
What if you were baller enough to hire Rob Bottin to just remake it? <laughs> Seems like a nice guy. I don't know. Maybe he'll do it. Alex, for you, anything. <laughs> <laughs> I, everything I've ever seen him in and like making up documentaries, he just seems like a cool dude. I know, doesn't he? I know. He's just yeah. so, he's awesome. Uh, Matt, since I went first last time after the guest, you get to go this week. Oh, there's so much I like, but I, I almost just despite you, I almost want to put that final werewolf in just to yes, just to stir the fucking pot, and I think I'm gonna do it. I mean, I'm gonna put the final werewolf in. Yes, take the D Wallace werewolf head. <laughs> Hell yeah, that's in my wing. You are a monster to my society. Um, <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, I, I wish I could be, you know, your Robert, your, your, I'm sorry. I wish I could be your Siskel. If I don't know who, who's Ebert, who's Siskel in this relationship. I don't know. Uh, I wish I could be your opposite, but I'm like, yeah, that doesn't offend me. <laughs> um, mine, you know what? I kind of like Dr. Wagner's death where they're like, finally, I don't want to be this monster anymore. He's pretending to try to like make all these werewolves, you know, like try to blend them into society. And everything he's saying is right, by the way. They can't keep going on like this. They need to, you know, actually adapt. The The world around them has changed and he hasn't. But at the same time, I kind of like where he's just like, fuck it, I'm done. These these idiots don't learn. And then David Carradine's like, we should only do the, I mean, John Carradine. John I'm Carradine. Sorry. John Carradine is like, we should only do the old ways. And that's kind of why he was so depressed and wanted to die at the end. That whole like little two minute section, I'm going to put in the museum. I just like it because even werewolves have conflict in their clan, just like our politics. And werewolves get the blues. That's right. (laughs) Oh, man, if John Carradine would have had a saxophone. Perfect. <laughs> Just like Lisa Simpson. That's right. I'm the only person in the world who's compared John Carradine and Lisa Simpson. <laughs> Prove me wrong. I think you're right. <laughs> all right. I liked uh, this entire this this all this was fun uh, from the agreements to the disagreements, mostly at the end because uh, you guys are wrong. <laughs> and um, and. <laughs> Actually, I love it. Uh, I I pray for those moments. (laughs) Uh, But let's move on to what we watched. Uh, I'll go first to start it off. I didn't so much. Well, I did watch it, but I was playing it at the same time. I played Resident Evil Village. I play a couple video games a year because I'm old. I have a kid. It takes me a long time. Took me a month to beat this. But. As a old school Resident Evil fan in the 90s, as a kid that had plenty of time to play video games, I was satisfied satisfied with this. It's it's different, uh, but it's wacky. It's strange. It's creepy. I loved a lot about it. It wasn't too hard where I became frustrated and it was enjoyable. I actually enjoyed a new video game, which has been quite a while. So well done. Uh, who wants to go next? Go, Matt. Oh, man. I don't even know if I have anything else. (laughs) I thought you brought something up earlier. Did I? I don't know. Uh, Well, you don't have to. We can just go straight to Alex. uh, Yeah, I've got nothing. 
Okay. <laughs> I got nothing else new to talk about. Alex, have you um, watched anything recently? I I wanted to take this opportunity to uh, to plug um, Molly and I have been. Molly is my wife, by the way. Everybody, um, she's real. She's one hundred percent real. I have a real wife. I uh, met her once, <laughs> twice. Um, we have been watching. We're we're just about to finish uh, a, a show that ran for four seasons on AMC called Halt and Catch Fire. I don't know if you guys have heard of the show. Yeah, I've seen um, the commercials for that. It um, they kind of they AMC kind of put it up as like like as Mad Men was ending is like okay here's our next Mad Men. It's like about like computer programmers in the eighties and it it, it kind of had that like that that kind of like gloss that sheen to it the 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 prestige TV sheen. Um, and the first season was quite good, but you could kind of tell that they were sort of trying to to sort of chase that you know chase that dragon of Mad Men, and then the show really starts coming into its own in the second season and it becomes this really great like character study but tracking these people like through the history of like the revolution of like personal computing and 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 how computers and the internet also like become a part of our everyday lives um it's a really really great show um and i think one of the cool things about it is that it takes like these five character actors who you usually see like just kind of in supporting roles in other uh movies people like or, or t- movies or tv shows people like scoot mcnary uh lee pace um who people would probably best know him under all of that freaking makeup as uh uh the guardians of the galaxy villain i don't know i can't remember his name he's blue and he's got a big axe um, but but lee pace kind of gets to be a regular person here on this show um mackenzie davis is also on the show she was in that that that, that movie happiest season with uh kristen stewart the, the lesbian christmas movie from last year well um, are you not gonna include terminator dark fate oh that's right she was a terminator i almost forgot I haven't seen Dark Fate, actually. Uh, but yeah, Mackenzie Davis, uh, the famed Terminator, um, is yeah. one of the main characters on the show. You um, and half the country haven't seen it, so. And uh, and 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 Toby Huss, who many oh. of us of a certain generation know as the strongest man in the world from the adventures of Pete and Pete. Um, I love Toby Huss. And, like, right he when I saw is him. tremendous on the show, Steve. Oh, uh, so I need to watch good. it because I... I kind of wanted to watch it because I saw Mackenzie Davis was leading it, or at least as one of the leads. Uh, and then I called, you know, Scoot McNary. Scoot's uh, amazing. Yeah, Scoot McNary is in it. And it's like, and then as soon as, soon as I saw that Toby Huss was in, I was like, I got to find a way to fit this in because and that man just it, completes me. <laughs> it's incredible. Like, he plays a really three dimensional character. He's so good. He just makes your heart sing. Um, and one of the, the other things that's really cool about it is that uh, Scoot McNary and Carrie Bechet uh, play a husband and wife on the show, and they play a husband and wife in Argo as well, the Ben Affleck movie. Uh, they're like two of the like. Uh, Ooh, I haven't the, watched that in a while. They're two of the like refugees who are like they're, they're like they're like hiding away that 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 Ben Affleck has to extract. Um, and that was kind of made at around the same time that they were doing Halt and Catch Fire, which I think is pretty cool. They, they're just, they're very good scene partners. 
um, it's just these five people just acting their asses off, but in like a just super engaging, like it's, it's, it's hard to describe. I don't want to go. I don't want to yeah. turn this into a halt and catch fire pod, but I feel like nobody really talks about this show. <laughs> I feel like I just I feel like nobody really talks about the show, and it's super cool. It's on Netflix, four seasons, ten episodes a season. You can kind of burn through it if you're a good binge watcher. I am a terrible binge watcher, so I watch like one episode every two weeks. Um, but. Uh, but we're about to get to the finale and uh, like, I have already like, I've already like pretty much like shed tears over this thing. Like it's a really, really great show. Um, uh, yeah. Just, just, yeah. just the shit and uh, more people should watch it. Yeah. ESPN or I'm sorry. Uh, AMC plus keeps suggesting it to me and I, I keep going like, I don't know if I'm ready, you know, like, but the one thing like scoot, McNary, uh, I always remember him. I haven't seen him in much. There's been plenty of things he's in, uh, but I just remember him playing so well opposite Brad Pitt and killing them softly. Yes, yes, yeah. He's a tremendous that guy. Like where he he'll just like pop up in a in, in a movie like that and just kind of steal it for a few minutes. I also think that's a very underrated film, and I wonder if that like falls yeah. this kind of like underrated TV series where killing them softly wasn't the film that was marketed, but when you actually yeah. just watch it on its right. own, fantastic film of, of characters just dived into a world. And hopefully yeah. from what I'm hearing from you, this series is the same thing. Uh, I will actually, now I have two things on my list from you. So thanks a lot, Alex. <laughs> so much like watching Put it on the list. Put it on the list. I don't know if and, I can and, ever finish it, but and, no. And if you don't oh, have a at AMC Plus, of course, have it. But but it's also on Netflix, so anybody yeah. with a Netflix subscription listening can uh, can find it pretty easily. I feel um, like all the AMC shows just eventually end up on Netflix. So yeah. They must have a contract. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, that that's that's what I got. Awesome. Great show. Thanks for sharing it with the fans. Uh, that'll end it this week. Alex, thank you for coming on Death Wish 3 and The Howling. Uh, it's always great. fantastic to talk to you. Uh, you yeah, always, thanks for having me. You always have great discussions with us. It always leads to a very fun podcast to edit. I, I, I constantly <laughs> want to edit them down, but at the same time, I want to keep the content. So uh, I should never <laughs> be an editor of a movie. <laughs> I would be the guy to be like, I uh, made a movie. It's uh, three hours and 80 minutes. That's actually four (laughs) hours, you know, but uh, it's good. It's really good, guys. Uh, Anyway, I'm terrible editor. Um, Not bad at audio, but, you know, I'm lying. I'm bad. I'm really bad, folks. Anyway, that will end (laughs) it this week. So remember to be kind. And rewind.